and we always want to acknowledge our first-time people. So if you're here for the first time, would you stand up so we can acknowledge you? First-timers, stand up. All right, well, that's great. We're, we're pleased that you're here, and we hope that you keep coming. Uh, no, we don't have any cards, all right? But we don't do... That's the thing, beauty about us. We're very disorganized. But if you want to be on the uh, mailing list for the... Amen. All right. Uh, we are on the outline that we've been studying, emulating the character of, of uh, Christ, which I believe is an important discussion. And as I've uh, studied this, and I want to welcome our internet audience, I want to welcome our radio audience, uh, we are studying, emulating the character of Christ, because I've been teaching, uh, really for the past number of months, that there's two stages to salvation. There's day one, where you're saved, uh, having nothing to do with anything that you did in terms of willfulness, other than recognizing that you are lost and needed a Savior, and God reaches across eternity, uh, saves you, seals you with the Holy Spirit. But God wants all of us to go from the day one experience to the day two experience, the rest of your life. And the day two experience is carrying the cross, picking up the cross, carrying the cross of Christ, being the hands and feet of Jesus in every way, mirroring the life of Jesus in us. And that's why I'm focusing on emulating the character of Christ. Emulating the character of Christ is effectively part of the day two experience. And the day two experience is willfulness. You got that? Willfulness, meaning we willfully walk. We willfully carry the cross of Christ. And as we go through these characteristics, uh, I don't want you to say, oh, I can't do that. I don't have patience. Uh, I don't have a problem with anger. I don't want to hear that. Because what I want to hear is I want you to say that God has given me the Holy Spirit. He expects me willfully to draw closer to him. And in a life of prayer and supplication and sanctification, God will allow you to be a better person. Willfully. You willfully take up the cross. He's given you the grace. He's given you the mercy. Uh, and that's what he wants you to do. Somebody asked me yesterday, if uh, when you're saved in day one, uh, are you fully sanctified? <laughs> no. Are you kidding me? No. No. You're not fully sanctified on day 10,000. All right? I mean, honestly, day 10,000, you're in the process of being sanctified. The only time when you become fully sanctified is at the end of your Christian life when they put dirt on you, all right? Now, then, you are being glorified uh, and effectively sanctified uh, through the body of Christ. But no, this ongoing act of sanctification is all within the day to experience, willfulness. So I am hoping that, I, that I, I get that point across, that I teach it rightly, uh, because I'm sorry to say that there are many people uh, throughout the world who consider themselves uh, nominal Christians. They say they're Christians, but when you look in their life, we don't see any evidence uh, of what I would see the characteristic of Jesus. Now, does that mean that they're not saved? I would say, no, it does not mean that they're not saved. But I would say that, that the, the uh, majority of those people are probably camped out in day one. Your job is to show them what day two is about. So we are in the part of the outline now 
Uh, point number 10, self-control. I left off on that last week. I want to continue with that. Um, and I want to speak about the self-control that relates to our words. Our words. That part of our body called the tongue. That little tiny organ. It's probably one of the smallest organs in the body that can wreak havoc, that can destroy lives, that can destroy relationships. Um, and God expects you to have control over your tongue. Now, don't tell me, uh, don't tell me, well, I'm just a naturally angry person, okay? First of all, you're in Naples, Florida, for crying out loud. You're, you're living in as close to the Garden of Eden as this pot. What, what are you angry about? What are you angry about? I know, I know. Some of you, like, you're in your 80s, and you're still burned up over some issue with your mother and father, okay? Get over it. They've been dead for 50 years, okay? Get over it. Move on. Snap out of it, all right? God, God wants you to live a, a better life, and walking around in a state of anger uh, is not that life. And I want you to see what the Bible says about this. Turn to James chapter 3, verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a forest, fire is, a forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, uh, and is itself set on fire by hell. I mean, that's the best way to explain what the tongue is about here. Um, as the tongue effectively sets the body on fire. We allow the tongue uh, to destroy ourselves, to destroy our spouses, our children, our family. I want you to think about the damage that's been done in your life because you shot your mouth off at a time that you shouldn't have shot your mouth off. I want you to think about that. And I want you to think about the regrets that you have about what you did. And now God says, I want you to be under self-control. We're not wrecks careening out of control in which any thought that comes into my head has got to be spewed out of your mouth. The thing you have to ask God is at the moment that some thought comes into your head, you need to say, God, help me. God, protect me. God, forgive me. And reflect on it before you say it. Reflect on it. Um, and, and I'm going to say that, that if you want to have a long marriage, this is one of the keys. Because inevitably, you live with somebody 30, 40, 50 years every day of your life. They're going to do something that's going to annoy you. Sometimes, sometimes, it's not even a word. It will be a look. Am I right? A look. You'll just get a look. You'll just get a look. Uh, and, and, uh, and then what happens? that tongue goes into action. Boom, boom, boom. A couple of shots fired across the bow of the ship. You understand. And momentarily you go, oh, yeah, I feel good. I got that out of the way. I got that out of the way. 
Uh, and, and yet you, you reflect on it afterward and you go, oh, why did I say that? Oh, now I'm going to go week after week after week of silent treatment. How good is this? What, what, my, why, my life is reduced to, to a mess all because you shot your tongue off. You allowed your tongue to set up a fire. This, this is God has given you the ability to restrain it. He has given it. That is part of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is inside of you to convict you and to restrain you. There's a willfulness in this. Uh, and, I, you know, when I speak about things like this, I'm talking about things that I really have to struggle with. Really, I have to struggle with it. You know, recently I was, my wife and I, I found that since I moved to Naples, that I never realized that I needed a co-pilot in my car with my wife navigating. I just thought before, I just drove the car without any help, but now I see that that's not true. I, I don't know whether you're experiencing this, but you need your wife there, yes. My wife has, has basically taken over all responsibility of the car other than handling the steering wheel. And so she recently said to me, you have no idea how many accidents you could have been in. I said, I've not been in an accident my whole life. That's because God intervened. Oh, my God. When somebody says God intervened, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You can't top that. All right? God has intervened. And so, you know, the old days, the old days, the old John would have fired a couple of shots. You understand? But look, I pray to God, Lord, help me, Jesus, help me change my character, restrain me, Lord, restrain me. And he does. He does. What you want to do is you go outside when you're by yourself and say whatever you want. To <laughs> Talk to a bush, you know? Talk to a bush. But, but be careful about the damage that you do with other people. Restrain yourself. Think carefully. And so... This becomes an important, an important lesson for us as men of God, how Jesus lived. You never see Jesus saying things that, that were hurtful. Every moment of his life was under control, all, all in keeping with what God wanted him to do. And so this becomes an important lesson, the tongue, the tongue. God, give us grace with the tongue. And then I want to talk about self-control over gossip. Gossip. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 couple pages further back. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15. Can we turn off our cell, our cell phones, please? Because we're being recorded. Verse 15. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. How do you like that word? Meddler. Meddler. That's a first century word for gossiper. Okay? Gossiper. Gossip is one of the insidious things that can destroy a family, can destroy relationships, can destroy a church. Um, and I'm very, very concerned uh, about gossip. Uh, don't be a part of gossip. When you hear some spurious thing about somebody, don't be the kind of thing, person that takes glory in that and then wants to spread it around. Don't do that. You know, there's even something called prayer gossip. You know what prayer gossip is? Oh, Lord, I, my neighbor is now involved sexually with the woman down the street, uh, Janie. Lord, I pray that that... What do you... I don't need to know all those facts. You don't have to make a prayer uh, publicly about all those facts so that you drag everybody through the mud. Really, 
You understand? Prayer gossip. Even be careful about that in terms of your life. You, gotta, you, you have to be sanctified uh, as you walk with God. Look, God knows you're not perfect. And I know some of us like to hear this gossip. But if you hear it, stop it. Don't spread it. Don't be the kind of person that takes this kind of stuff and feels it necessary uh, to deliver it to somebody else. God doesn't want to hear that. All right? This, this, again, becomes understanding the character of Jesus, and it requires willfulness. Now, turn, if you would, also, because one of the aspects of self-control is covetousness. Covetousness. I want what you have. I want what he has. I want what the world has. I want more. I'm never happy, okay? And, and I have no, cons- no self-control over that aspect of my life. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. For this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Oh my. Uh, Greed. Greed, all right? Uh, and, and it's not, as we've always said, it's not a sin to be affluent. It's not a sin uh, that God has blessed you, and that's the point to remember. He's blessed you. You haven't done it. He's given it to you. It's not a sin, but when you become greedy, when you can't get enough, when you have this overwhelming obsession, you want more and more and more, and that covetousness takes place. When you see somebody that you know that's done well, instead of, of celebrating with them, you get jealous. You get jealous and you get envious. That's a major sin. And God is saying here that this is even going to affect your life when you get to the other side. All right? It's not that you aren't saved. You can be saved and still suffer from this issue. But now in day two, you begin to draw attention to this. You want to fix this. You want to willfully address this issue. Um, And so it's important for us to to understand the character of Jesus. You never saw him do that. He lived in the most humble, simple way. He never, never exhibited any part of greed. He understood that whatever he had, God would give it to him. He would take care of you. And let me assure you this. Let me make it clear. If you're walking with God, if you're walking with God, God will give you everything you need. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, let's understand that. Everything you need. Everything you want? No, no, no. No, no. Not everything you want. Because let's understand something. You got a lot of ridiculous wants, okay? You got a lot of wants that are not going to take you to fulfill your life with Jesus Christ. They're going to take you off in in, uh, passages and places where God doesn't want you to be. Uh, Because, you know, I've seen it. I've seen people that God has blessed their lives uh, with with affluence, and then you never see them in church anymore. Where are they? Well, they're touring the world. They're on their ship. They're playing golf. Where are they? Do they all go to church on Saturday night? Is that what's going on? No, they don't go to church on Saturday night. They're not in any church because they've been blinded by affluence, okay? Blinded by affluence. Put yourself and bow before God and say, Lord, don't let that happen to me. Don't let that happen to me. Let me understand, Lord, that I bow to your will, uh, and I will not be covetous. I will not. I will not be greedy. I will understand that you have given me what you want me to have. 
you will give me what you want me to have. And then this, another last characteristic of self-control I want to talk to you about is anger. Now, I'm sure this doesn't apply to the vast majority of you here. You have all uh, overcome that issue of anger in your life. Uh, uh, and what I've noticed about anger is that there's various forms of anger. There's uh, anger that is immediately visible, and then there's anger that is restrained and is passive. But it's still anger. You understand? It's, it's passive-aggressive, right? Passive-aggressive, meaning what? Meaning I'm stewing in my anger, all right? I'm not visibly showing it, but I'm still angry. God wants to cut this short. And I want to give you a passage that speaks to my heart about this. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. It's a great passage. This is about Naaman uh, and a guy who got angry and almost didn't get healed because of it. 2 Kings chapter 5 uh, and uh, verse 12. Now, uh, Naaman had, had learned that Elisha had the ability to cure people and heal people. Uh, and he had come from another country, another culture, and so he had traveled to Israel uh, in order to be cured of leprosy. And he was a great general. He was a great general. And so when he came to see Elisha, uh, Elisha didn't even come out of his house. All right? He sent word from his house as to what Elisha had to do, uh, what Naaman had to do. And, and he instructed Naaman that he had to basically uh, put himself in the River Jordan for, uh, I think it's seven times. So turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, verse, uh, let's see where we, verse 8. Let's start with that. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message, why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that he is a prophet in Israel. He tore his clothes because the king of Israel was afraid this guy, his general, is coming. He can't heal him of, of leprosy. So Elisha said, tell him to come to me, and we'll take care of it. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. So you get in this picture, this entourage pulls up, okay? This guy comes out, and I'm sure he's got some fancy uniform on as well. Um, Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Now, pretty simple, right? You got leprosy. You came a long way. You got leprosy. You want to be healed. What, what does this guy do? Uh, but Naaman, verse 11, went away angry. Notice that. Angry. Why? Uh, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and far, far the rivers of Damascus better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. You see what anger does? This guy is not doing me obeisance. I've come all this way. He doesn't even come out of his house. This is an outrage. Furthermore, he's telling me to go dunk myself in that filthy river when I have so many nice rivers back home. I'm not going to do this. And his anger and rage causes him to go away and not be healed. Wow. Is that us? Have you been so angry at times that you closed off the doors of relationships to people? 
Have you shut down the chance to have love or experience love? Have you, have you turned off and have, have ways to have a deeper relationship with your wife or your children or your friends because you've exhibited anger? Anger is a vicious, vicious disease. And I'm telling you that God has given you the ability to willfully control it. Now, I want you to see what happens here. Uh, and and uh, verse 13, Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father... And thank God there are people like this in the world who can speak truth into our lives. My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you to wash and be cleansed? So, so there was the message. If he had told you to give him some incredible amount of money, you would have done it. All right? Or to do some great feat of strength, he would have done it. But because he didn't even come out and speak to him, uh, he was so offended and so angry that, that he would not, in fact, do it. Uh, and so what happens? Verse 14, so he went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. Wow, that's, that's the work of God. This is what happens when you control your anger. So I'm asking you guys, as men of God, people that are committed to serving God, walking with God, I'm asking you to reflect on this issue of anger and asking you to get a hold of it, to ask God to give you the ability to, to keep it under control, to take the anger away. And one of the ways that you can focus on taking the anger away is to reflect on what God has done for you. God has saved you. God has given you eternal life. God has given you a promise that you will be together with your family forever in heaven. And not only that, uh, as part of salvation, he's given you the power to, and the authority to have a beautiful life here. Heaven starts here, okay? Relationships are improved here because you have the Holy Spirit. You're walking around with God in your heart. And as you willfully walk and turn up the pilot light of the Holy Spirit, Everything in this world begins to get better. Yes, you're going to have persecution. Yes, there will be suffering, but God will restore you. God will affirm you. And so as you reflect on this, who among us can be angry? What are we being angry about? Instead, we allow the flesh to take control of our body. So I ask you to just constantly, and this is part of my prayer life, as I speak to God, God, Lord, have mercy on me. Help these characteristics that I've been born with, Lord. Help me to have control over them. Help me to be mindful of the damage that I do, the hurt that I do. God doesn't want you to live that way. God wants you to live uh, in an exalted way. So I hope that you'll take that under consideration. Now turn to point 11 in the outline, humility. Humility. Um, and, you know, this again is one of those issues that... Uh, uh, very few of us are humble. We're just not. Uh, we may not be arrogant. We may not be outwardly arrogant, but very few of us are truly humble. Meaning what? Meaning that we bow to the will of God and we say, Lord, I'll go, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be the person that you want me to be. You know, it's like this. A lot of us have in our minds that we want to serve God, but we want to serve it from a high position. You know, we don't want to be a greeter in church. I don't want to be an usher, all right? Uh, I, I don't want to be a person involved in helps. 
Yeah, I think I, if, if given a chance on the pulpit, I probably could say a couple of good words. You know, it's kind of like we have these exalted visions of, of what we should be instead of having visions of what God wants us to be. So here's the thing about humility. Recognize the gifts and talents that God has given you. He has given each of you a set of gifts and talents. Uh, and understand this, uh, that, that we need to bow in humility to what God has given us. Jesus had every opportunity and right to demand praise from those people who were around him. Think about it. Here he is for three years performing the most incredible miracles the world would ever see. Walking on water, multiplying uh, five loaves and seven fish, multiplying it to feed thousands of people, and ultimately raising a man that had died three days ago, raising him from the grave. I mean, think about Jesus. Think about what he could have demanded in terms of the position that he had. He never did it. He never demanded exaltation. Uh, and, and even when crowds rushed to make him king, he sought to hide himself and to keep them from doing them. Uh, all Jesus ever wanted to do was to seek and save the lost and offer forgiveness of sinful people. He never chose to elevate himself. That's the call of God on your life. All right? You don't need to tell people you're a great Christian. You don't need to tell people that you're completely sold out on Christ. You don't need to tell people that you hold an elevated position, let's say, in church. All right? You don't have to tell them that. God will speak to their hearts. You need to seek the righteousness and forgiveness of God and to have the light of Jesus Christ come through you to mirror, mirror God. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. One of the great passages in, in the Bible. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. Well, we'll start with verse 6. Talking about Jesus. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the congregation said, Amen. Let's understand it. There's the, there's the definition of humility. There is the definition of humility. Jesus Christ, who in, the, in his very nature was equal with God, equal with God the Father. Yet even though he was equal with God the Father, never sought equality, and yet instead humbly allowed himself to be turned into a servant, to become man, to take on flesh and walk uh, for 33 years in this world uh, and to suffer and be persecuted and ultimately to be put on the cross. The, the very nature of a servant, even at the point, even before he's about to go to the cross where he washes the feet of the disciples, bowing and taking care of them. This is God that's doing it. God is washing their feet. God is bowing and humbling himself. God is the servant. And so when you see this, 
you recognize this is the picture that God wants for us. An obedience. Meaning what? Meaning that God is calling us to be obedient. There's a call on your life. God has a purpose for you. There's a destiny for you. He will speak to you about that destiny. Uh, and, and he will open the doors for that destiny. But you need to be obedient. Don't look for some other avenue. Look for what God has called you to do. Uh, and this, again, ties into being patient. Meaning what? Sometimes it may take years before this is tr- fully revealed in your life. Years. But, but be humble and obedient and walk. I mean, Gary Chapman said that to me, which I've never forgotten it, because uh, when, I had, when I told him that I, I felt that God wanted me to give up the practice of law uh, and, and uh, be, focus on, on being a Bible teacher, a public speaker for God, he said, what did your father say? And I said, my father told me to go slow. He said, your father's right, John, but remember this, you can't steer a car unless it's moving. You can't steer a car unless it's moving. It was one of those so simple statements that is so profound. Meaning what? It means in humility, in humility, walk daily with God. Serve daily with Christ. The little things, the help things being the hands and feet of Jesus in the small things. Even while you're waiting for the greater call on your life that you think is some greater call, walk daily with God. Be in motion. Uh, And instead, many of us are not humble about this. You know, we say we're humble, but we're sitting there waiting for this major call in our life. Well, let me tell you something. That may never come. All right? Only God knows what his plans are for you. Uh, and so we have to bow in humility and, and walk with him. And you see this uh, with Jesus. And what happens there? Uh, as because Jesus humbled himself, God exalted Jesus to the highest position possible. And I'm going to say this to you. When you bow to God and humbly walk with God in humility, God will exalt you. You won't have to tell people about what you're doing. You won't have to say, I'm being used by God. It's unnecessary. God will say it for you. He will say it for you, and he will draw people towards you uh, in a way that you'll find uh, incredible, incredible. And so here's the thing about humility. A humble person is quick to forgive others. Ooh, that's right. That's part of humility. When you're humble, you're quick to forgive because you know, the, you know your own heart. And so you're humble, and you see somebody has offended you. You're quick, you quickly forgive them. And you're content to wait on God for vindication. Oh, Lord, help me on that. In other words, you don't have to go out and vindicate yourself. God will take care of the vindication. God will do it. God will lift you up and take care of that. Uh, A humble person is patient and does not get frustrated with the weaknesses of others. Okay? Understand that that you're surrounded by people that may not be as gifted as you are. They may, not, they may not have the intellect that you have. They may not have the talents that you are. And, and instead of understanding that, we get frustrated, and then we get angry, and we're not humble. Let God humble us about that, that we're dealing with people in this world that don't all have the same level of giftedness. The humble man is a person who is a peacemaker. 
Can you say that about yourself? Are you a peacemaker? Are you the kind of a person, when, when you see that the waters are being roiled, do you, in fact, try to find a way to make peace? Uh, we need humility to maintain, peace, to maintain peace in our lives. Turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Oh, God. Oh. Can you say that about yourself? Can you say that about yourself, that, that, that you would humble yourself and be with people that maybe are not on the same level that you are or maybe don't have the same level of affluence that you have uh, or maybe don't have the same level of giftedness? Are you doing that? Are you, actually, can you, are you able to say that, that you recognize that God has created all of, all of mankind uh, and, and that that's a sign of humility uh, and you see that? Uh, I mean, really... There's people here in this class who go out and take homeless people and bring them into their homes. That's the essence of humility, to go out and see people who have nothing and to bring them into their homes, even allowing them to stay several nights in a room in their house. And they clothe them, and they take care of them. They don't never hear a word. I didn't get this from this person. This person never told me about it, but somebody else told me that he does this. I can't tell you what that did to me when I saw this godly man taking care of unfortunate people. That's how God wants you to live your life. That's humility. That's true humility. Can you say that, that God is, is working that in your life? Or you can say that? And a, a humble person sees their own weaknesses and can readily admit them. Oh, gosh, Lord. Do you see your own weaknesses? Do you admit to your own weaknesses? Do you see your character flaws? Because if you were humble, you could. If you were humble, you could. You ask God, Lord, speak to my heart. Tell me where I'm short, Lord. Tell me what I need to address. Tell me what I, what I need to admit. Uh, a humble person happily serves other people, and not to impress others, they do it unto God. That's what a humble person does. It looks to be a servant. It looks for those who are in need. It looks for those people that need to be lifted up and affirmed in so many ways. That's what a humble person does, and not for the accolades of others. In fact, they do it secretly, just like the guy in our class who brings homeless people into his house. He's not looking for human accolades. He's serving God. That's true humility. This is, this is the image that God wants us to have of how we are to live. Uh, and a humble person is very thankful, uh, very thankful. And the reason why they are thankful is they recognize that they've been saved by grace. They've been saved by grace. And every day of their lives, they thank God for that salvation. That's the humility of understanding what God has done for you. Uh, a humble person has a tender conscience uh, and is quick to repent, a tender conscience. Lord, forgive me if I've hurt somebody. Forgive me if I've been harsh. 
Forgive me, Lord, I didn't mean to do that. That's humility. Not that you won't make mistakes. Yes, you will make mistakes because you have the flesh, but you will recognize your mistakes. You'll recognize your shortcomings. Um, and, and a leader, and this is the most important thing, we want leaders in our lives, leaders in church, leaders in Bible study, people who are leading others, who are truly humble because they treat people with respect. That's what we want. You want people who, who are humble at the very top of the Christian organizations we're involved with. It's that humility that permeates every aspect of their life. Yes, they have shortcomings. Yes, they'll make mistakes. But yes, they will treat people with respect. Turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due times. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Humble yourself to God so that God can lift you up. All right? Uh, and, and I want to thank so many of you who, who come up to me and tell me good things about the Bible studies, how much they mean to you, uh, and, and affirm me and say positive things about me. But you know that, that one of the things that I try to do is I try to bow my head and I go like this. And you understand what this is? What this is? This is, it's not me, it's him. You understand? It's not me, it's him. I had to learn to do this. Because you know what? It didn't always go like this. It used to go like this. Yeah. Yeah. You understand? I mean, as a youngster, I, I, I played the piano. Uh, and, and in some ways, uh, God gave me a, a large talent musically. I played in the New York World's Fair. In 1964, I was 15 years old. I played the Warsaw Concerto, all right? And where I played that, and people would listen to me, and I would get all kinds of praise. You think I was going like this? You think I was going like this? I wasn't going like this. I was going, yeah, yeah. And that's what drives me nuts when I watch television and I see these musical artists, all right? Or I see these athletes. Somebody said last night there wasn't one name, one, uh, Jesus' name wasn't mentioned one time. You understand what we're, we're surrounded with, whether it's in the arts or in sports? It's people who have been given massive amounts of talents and yet don't recognize where those talents came from. All right? This is evil. This is what Satan wants. He wants nothing better than for you to basically cavell as a Jewish word would say, in, in the gifts that you have, as if you earned it, it's all about you. And that's why, honestly, when, when, when you're blessed in some way, bow your head and go like this. Point to God. He gave it to you. He put it to you. It's his gift. It's his talent. And you have to recognize this. And one of the things about being on day two in the walk on day two, in humility, every day you will recognize that even to a greater degree. God has blessed some of you extraordinarily. God has given you some great intellects in this group, some great opportunities. Uh, and all I want to say to you is it's the work of God. It's the hand of God. Don't ever think that it's because you have a great winsome personality or you're brilliant. All right? Or you worked harder than everybody else. You worked harder than everybody else. Come on. Really. Understand that all those gifts that you have, whatever it is, it all comes from God. And that's the nature of humility. 
focusing in on that and understanding that that's how God wants you to live. Uh, and so as we look on our outline to, to, to point 12, uh, it is impossible within our own humanity to emulate these characteristics of Jesus. You can't inhumanly do it. If you're not saved, you can't do it. That's why when I hear people talk uh, about the issue of ethics and morality uh, from people that are not saved, I, I want to say to them, you're missing one component. It's called grace. You can read all the books on ethics all your life, and unless you have the grace of Jesus Christ in your heart, combined with the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. You can't, you can't listen to a lesson like this and come out of it saying, I willfully will do this. No, you can't. You willfully will do nothing, but combined with the Holy Spirit in your life, yes, you willfully can. You can do these kinds of things. Uh, and and uh, let's look at Galatians chapter 5 as we drill this home. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the Hall of Fame, okay? That's the fruit of the Spirit. This is what happens when you're in day two and you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. You willfully take up the cross of Jesus. You sanctify yourself daily. You pray daily. You pray constantly, a hundred times a daily day. You're asking God to forgive you, and you're walking with him. And as you do this, this will be the natural component of your life because it is the very fruit of what's in your spirit, the very fruit of the spirit of God. Why do I say that? Because a little bit of Jesus is encamped in your heart. And so when you recognize that, knowing that this is what he's given you, this will be the kind of fruit that you will evidence in your life. You'll, be, you'll show love and joy. Joy, oh my Lord, Jesus. How many of us have been surrounded by Christians that never smile? Never smile. What is that? What kind of church is that that I go in and I see nothing but scowling looks? This isn't the way God directed you to live. And I know you've experienced this. I saw people never smile in my old churches. Never smile. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is, is a, a bubbling up of joy and contentment. Yes, you didn't have a lobotomy. You're, you suffer, you get persecutions, but you understand that God is doing something with you. He's working with you. He's making something special of you. And so there it is. The joy of the Spirit is there. Peace. Oh, God, peace, peace. How many people are looking for peace? You want peace? You accept Jesus. You put him in your heart, and Jesus will bring that peace. We all want peace, but some of us have refused to allow the peace to percolate up in our heart and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desire. 
Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. There's the last essence of this lesson, that we, we crucify the flesh. Yes, we walk. Yes, we carry the cross of Christ. Yes, we, we ask for God to help to make us better men. All right, And as we do this, we crucify the flesh. Meaning what? We're aware of what the flesh does. We know what the lust of the flesh is about, the lust of eyes, the pride of life. We understand those issues. But we say to God, help us to crucify those things. Help me, Lord, to put that part of my life down. Help me to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, to be the kind of man you want me to be, to be the kind of person that when people see me, they see Jesus. And then when they say to me, you're special, you're great, don't let me say, yeah, you're right. I've been waiting for you to say that. It's taken you a long time. <laughs> Instead, I want to see you go like this. It's him. It's not me. It's him in every way. It's him. Everything that I am. Everything that I will be. Everything that he has for me. It's from him. I bow to him. He's given it to me. He's given me the talents. He's opened the doors. He's allowed me to serve him. And then one day, one day, you're going to stand there in front of Jesus. And when he runs the videotape of your life, he's going to look right in your eyes and here's what he's going to say. Well done. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And you're going to go this. Thank you, Lord. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your message. We thank you for the words today, Lord. They have resonated in our hearts because of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that you've spoken to us today. We can feel your presence. And so, Lord, we want to emulate the character of Jesus. There's not one of us here that doesn't want to do that, Lord. And so give us the strength. Give us the willfulness to be that kind of man, to go out in the world and show what it can be when we're totally turned on by you and we have the fruit of the Spirit. Be with our men, Lord. Protect them this week and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.